Coming to you from the Spirit Lounge, I'm your host, Lily. With me is my co-host, Vanessa, and this is the Haunted Happy Hour Podcast. Welcome back to the Spirit Lounge, everyone, for another happy hour. Vanessa, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. It's another Friday evening. Yes. A true happy hour. We're keeping the streak alive <laughs> with the happy hours. Today's a hard one, though, I feel. I'm actually pretty pretty tired. Work got you? Yeah. I, I had a lot going on at work today, so... It was pretty intense. No more brain power left for the day, <laughs> left for the evening, left for the show. So we'll see what happens. Well, you better have a few brain cells left for this. <laughs> so the other day was National Paranormal Day. It was. When was that? Was that Wednesday? November or November? <laughs> see, we were just talking about the brain cells. May? May, May uh, 3rd. May 3rd, yes. And it, I saw this article talking about it. The very first Paranormal Day was created in 2013. Oh, So it's not that old. No, it isn't. And I did see a survey that was made. I'm looking at it right now. It Mm -hmm. says the National Today Data Science Team surveyed 1,000 Americans about ghouls and goblins. (laughs) (laughs) Ghouls and goblins. So it says 80% of Americans believe in ghosts. 80%. Which... That is actually really surprising to me. I know. I thought the same thing. I, I think that number is really high. Yeah. I thought it was going to be low. Yes. It also says five fascinating insights about ghosts. Mm-hmm. 90% of Americans are scared of the paranormal. 15% of Americans like to watch ghost shows on TV. 12% of Americans think the government knows more about aliens than it's letting on. Oh, I believe that. <laughs> of Americans have had a paranormal experience and 4% of Americans think their house is haunted. That 10% having their own paranormal experience, that surprises me too. I feel Mm -hmm. like it would be more. Mm -hmm. I feel like everybody I know, everybody I talk to has had some kind of an experience. Everybody. And that's the funny thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When we tell people about our podcast mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. like everybody then starts opening up to us right. i notice that yes and they share some pretty cool stories which yeah. reminds me uh-huh. if we have any listeners out yes. there that want to share any of their own experiences we actually have had two listeners share some of their experiences which eventually we will right. share out mm-hmm. that, was, yeah. that was a cool survey yeah so i, I just wanted to bring that one up because since National Paranormal Day was the other day. I'm sure a lot of people didn't know that. Or if you did, hopefully you celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrate with some ghosts. Right. And today is Cinco de Mayo. Woohoo! So as we are <clears throat> recording this, it is Cinco de Mayo, which we will talk about our drink feature later. It looks it looks fun. It's pretty fun. It looks fun and it looks like it would be right up my alley. It's a celebration in a glass. Yes. I love it. (laughs) I can't wait to get to it. Before we do, what's going on for today's episode? Today, we have a story about a school that went up in flames and a tale about a charming historic district. So sit back, get comfortable and 
pull up a drink. Don't mind if I do, because this one looks amazing. Please do. So today, perfect drink to celebrate Cinco de Mayo. It's a spicy drink, which Mm -hmm. is why I said it'd be right up my alley. I love anything spicy. So this one is the Spicy Paloma. That sounds good. That sounds really good. Yeah. So it it has tequila, club soda. Super easy to make. I saw you making it. Really, you're just... I throwing it. throwing I'm stuff just in it. Yeah. And then if you want to add a flavor to it, try a flavored sparkling soda, which I think that's what you did. You did it with a yeah. grapefruit one, I think. Yes. Yeah. And I thought that the grapefruit would kind of go well because I rimmed the glass with a Himalayan salt, but it has spiciness. Which to it. is good. So I was having so before this, I was having a beer. And of course you were. Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> and of course I was having it's happy it. hour after all. Well, in honor, I didn't realize it until <laughs> this is how spaced out I am today. This is how the brain cells are working. <laughs> I didn't realize it was Cinco de Mayo. So, but wow. I, I had, you were working hard. I, Gosh. I had a modelo though yes. for my beer just a little bit ago, and I had it with lime. Yeah, and I saw that you had a little bowl mm-hmm. of this himalayan salt with spice yeah i'm like what is this so i right. dipped my lime in it <laughs> so good unknowingly i really yeah. didn't even know what i was doing because I, I was making the drink at the time I so didn't. she was just kind of nosing around right the kitchen area and i'm already <laughs> dead anyways so <laughs> i don't know what's going on <laughs> yeah lily's like walking around like a zombie that's what work does to it you does. it's unfortunate like back-to-back meetings today was horrible that's unfortunate i'm ready i'm ready for this this looks I'm good sad for you but yes this should perk up your evening yeah this should probably make for quite a lot of editing Oh, and it smells good, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cheers. Cheers. Oh, that, that was a good, that was that was a good one. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lily's taking her sip. Let's see what you think. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's pretty spicy. That is actually really, that's, re- that's spicy. So knowing that you were going to drink mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. I really spiced this one up because I know that you do like hot mm-hmm. stuff, so... I do like that. Lily loves those like really hot flaming Cheetos. Oh my gosh. Like, super the, like, hot. The, the triple extra hot <laughs> ones. Yeah. And then I add hot sauce on top of it to them. Weren't you saying that like we don't have any around here? No, for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> we live in a town that doesn't believe like, in hot <laughs> Cheetos. <laughs> so I can't find them anywhere. I used to get them all the time when I lived in Chicago. Because yeah. apparently up there you can get them like nothing. <laughs> But now moving here, I couldn't find them, so I always have to ask people up there to to get me to get me Cheetos, <laughs> especially our uh, sister in law. It's like a, a a black market for Cheetos <laughs> for that spicy Cheetos. They like banned them over here or something. <laughs> You're like, what? Nobody likes them over there. <laughs> Pretty much. This is good though. Good. Okay. okay. So I'm talking about the drink. Okay, well, you know what? Hmm. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it since you don't really like spicy. Spicy. Well, and gosh, yeah. Well, okay, I do like spicy, but not like you like it. Mm -hmm. You like it really, truly hot. And I don't because it makes my stomach hurt at certain points. But anyway. That's what age does to you. (laughs) Unfortunately, it is. You find yourself not being able right. to eat a lot of stuff that you once could, <laughs> and I hate it. Anyway, okay, Lily is drinking the 
drink that I made especially oh, for the picture. Oh yeah, you no, didn't notice ours. Oh, nope. and yours doesn't have very much. Mine's in it. pretty sad looking compared to <laughs> the picture that we have on Instagram because I know that Lily really likes mm-hmm. it spicy, so I, I gave her that one. And mm-hmm. mine is extremely lightly sad. <laughs> Doesn't it look sad? It, it does, looks actually. Sad. I didn't realize that you have like one little dust of like of spice. Of spice. But it's actually it's good. Like for me, that's enough. Honestly, I'm sure a lot of people out there like are like, wait, spicy? I can't have it. That's no, true. But. Well, and that's the good thing then about this drink because I mean, as you're making it, mm-hmm. you can make it as spicy as you want, right? And everybody can honestly do whatever I'm good they with want. what I have. I know, I know you like a lot, so I yeah, I, I like the way I mine doused is. it. Mm-hmm. I doused yours. It's really good. Yeah, I like the uh, that I can get like a little bit of that grapefruit flavor, like the yeah. what is it, the club soda mm-hmm. or sparkling soda, yeah, whatever sparkling. it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I rimmed Lily's glass with the spicy stuff, the Himalayan spicy salt. And I actually poured in some in the glass. So knowing that Mm -hmm. she likes it. I like it. I want to know where you got this (laughs) spicy salt. That's like my main thing. Top secret. (laughs) Um, But like drink wise, very refreshing, very light. I I like that. I like that it's kind of like light, Mm -hmm. even though it Mm -hmm. has like the tequila in it. And okay, so Lily saw me pouring the tequila. (laughs) And you're like, oh, gosh. Right. I was like, what are you doing? You were already getting scared. I was. I was like, oh, that's that sounds scary. <laughs> uh, but it's not actually. No, it's mm-hmm. good. And I knew I was like, just mm-hmm. just wait. It's good. I was telling it's her. It's good. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that that goes back to my point of, you know, when you're making it, you can put however much of anything that you want to put in it. It's spicy, light, refreshing. I like it. It's a great perfect, drink. Perfect for your fiesta. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh scale wise rating wise what do you say i'm gonna say a four uh i think i'm gonna say the same yeah really four four out of five yes i thought you would actually say five why did you Mm -hmm. not say five uh because i feel like you have to be like really wow to get a five so this isn't really wow no i think it's like (laughs) it's good but Mm. it's not like oh my gosh Mm. i love it it's the best thing ever it's not pink drink it's not pink drink (laughs) it's not the the root beer oh the root beer yeah that one was good yeah with the bourbon cream right so that one unbelievable like it's it's hard it's hard to live up to that now that you put them up against Uh those uh totally get it now yes so great drink though for today super love it love the theme Mm -hmm. four out of five for the what is it spicy paloma that it is all right so now that we have our drink vanessa let's get into our first story Dubbed one of the deadliest schoolhouse fires in the U.S. March of 1908, the Lakeview School in Collinwood, Ohio, was disastrous. The aftermath was tragic. Firefighters were ill-equipped to handle the inferno. Parents were full of questions and left mourning their children. This time period had many buildings that were very flammable due to the materials that were being used at the time, but also the lack of fire prevention laws. The cause of the fire still remains uncertain. 
On a brisk Wednesday in Collinwood, Ohio, many children started their day off at school as usual. All the students settled in their classes and conducted their normal routines, so they thought. Little did they know that the three-story brick building would turn into a living nightmare. Just a little after nine, the custodian noticed smoke coming from the front stairway. He acted quickly and ran to pull the fire alarm. He then ran to open the front and the back doors to help the children escape quicker. Unfortunately, that only made matters worse. The air rushed through the building and made the flames more intense. At first, teachers and students thought it was only a drill and headed down the halls in an orderly fashion as they usually practice in the past. Once the students at the head of the lines really saw what was going on, chaos ensued. Children ran screaming in every direction. Some went back up the stairs they came down from. Some ran head-on near the flames in an attempt to run past them. The fire started in the basement, just under the staircase leading to the front doors. During fire drills, the children had been trained to go directly to those doors, but were never trained to seek any other way out if those doors were blocked. The children approaching the foot of the stairs, seeing what was ahead of them, turned and attempted to fight their way back up, while those who were coming down forced them back into the flames. From that moment on, there was no hope for the children at the front door and first floor stairs. The hallways became so packed with children that they got stuck against one another, unable to move from the position they were at in the vestibule. They were unable to open the doors since they opened inward. Catherine Wheeler, a teacher at the school, tried to lead her class into safety but couldn't. The two exit doors were being blocked by stampedes of kids that were trying to smash and wedge their way out of the hallways and doors. The hallways became narrow as the sea of children became heavier due to all the kids needing to come to the first floor to exits. Catherine decided to try to help as many children as she could. She tried to pull and push students out of the position they were located in. Eventually, Catherine lost her footing and was trampled to death under the mass of children. She was later heralded as a hero. She was in her mid-twenties and had been teaching since she was 18. After the general fire alarm was sounded, Collinwood Chief of Police Charles McLareth was among the first to arrive. Even knowing that three of his own children were likely still inside the burning school, the chief set to work directing rescuers and firefighters and later containing the thousands who came to help or simply watch. Within minutes, hundreds of frantic parents and family members who had heard of the fire arrived at the scene. Their numbers were too vast for the police to hold back. Also arriving to help were a number of men from the nearby train yard and railroad shops at the Lakeshore Rail Yard. George Getzine happened to see the commotion and decided to help. 
He ran to the rear doors and with the aid of police officer Charles Wall, managed to get the doors open, but was forced back by the flames and heat. They both said that at the time, there were no children in that area, so they ran to the front doors in an attempt to get them open. Mrs. Walter Kelly, mother of two Lakeview students, and another volunteer, tried to open the rear doors, pulling and tugging as hard as they could, believing that the doors opened outwards. They could not get the doors to budge. Unable to find anything with which to break down the door, they abandoned their effort and began smashing windows and pulling children out until the fire became too intense. They were able to save a few children this way. What they didn't realize, on the other side of the doors, was a solid mass of children packed in so tightly that there would have been no way possible for the doors to be forced open. Despite previous attempts to open the doors, men from the rail yard kicked and pounded on the solid wood doors until their fists were bloody. Eventually, the rear doors collapsed from the weight of the children, exposing a horrifying sight, a solid wall of children. Fritz Herter, the custodian, was still in the building. He was able to save several children by tossing them through windows as he made his way out in an attempt to pull them away from the doorway from the inside. Though his face and hands were scorched black, he continued pulling children from the pile until he could save no more. He fled the building at the last second as more children were shoved into the pile that was now over six feet high. As the flames grew closer and closer to the children, rescuers tried everything to untangle them and pull them free of the pile, but none could be saved. Eventually, the heat drove the rescuers back. They were forced to watch helplessly as the children were engulfed in flames. When the front doors finally gave way, people saw an awful scene, similar to the one at the rear doors a wall of children. This time, however, most of the children were already dead. The Collinwood Fire Department was made up entirely of volunteers, many of them quite inexperienced. They had difficulty getting everything in order and were slow in getting to the building. When they finally arrived, they found their firefighting apparatus to be sorely inadequate. Lacking in water pressure, the water stream was not even strong enough to reach the second-story windows. In addition, they didn't possess a ladder long enough to reach the third floor. The firefighters did all they could, but in the end, there was little they could do. Ultimately, there was little need for fighting the fire. Most of it had burned out within the first 30 minutes. All that was left to water down were smoldering embers, making it safer for volunteers to remove the children's remains. Removal of the bodies was done by the firefighters and the railroad workers from the Lakeshore shop. A nearby railroad shop was used as a makeshift morgue. As the bodies arrived, they were laid out in rows of 10. There were 16 rows. In the end, 
each of the missing was found and identified, except for 19 children and one teacher. Some of them were thought to have burned to ashes. The area needed a new school, and in 1910, the completion of the new Collinwood Memorial School was built on the same site where Lakeview School had stood, despite the protests of many parents. Parents complained that they did not want the siblings of children that had been killed in the fire to have to go to school where the ashes of their brothers or sisters lay. Eventually, Collinwood Memorial School was closed in the 70s and remained abandoned for quite some time. It developed a reputation for being haunted. Neighbors would report paranormal activity going on inside the building. Neighbors told of lights appearing in a window on the second story. The light would slowly move along the halls, then disappear. This light would be seen often by many people over the years, but no natural cause could ever be determined. People that have investigated the building inside noted cold spots. They also reported the faint sounds of children screaming. People that have walked through the memorial gardens have reported smelling the strong scent of smoke. The smell occasionally becomes a putrid stench and gets so strong that it often drives away visitors. In 2004, the Collinwood Memorial School was demolished. A brand new school named Memorial School now stands at the site. Today, you can visit the site where the disaster occurred. A memorial area was built to remember the lives that were lost. A public garden was also built on the site of the fire. Around the sides of the memorial are 175 tiles, each inscribed with the name of someone who died in the fire. Like so many fires during this time period, many lives were lost before any regulations were put in place to save lives. Many families were torn apart due to the horrific fire. To this day, it remains a mystery of how the school fire began. One thing is certain, the spirits of the schoolhouse have their own stories to tell. What did you think of the story? That was going to be my first question about how did the fire even start? Yeah. So a lot of people speculated that it was the custodian's fault. Many were quick to place blame on the custodian, Fritz Herder, which I Mm -hmm. was telling about, for inattentiveness and running the boiler too hot. Mm. With no evidence at all, many parents were angry at him and waiting for him outside of his house. So they were ready to burn at the stake type of deal. Eventually, word spread that he too had lost children in the fire and the angry parents backed off. Mm. Jeez. So that's too bad, but but they still don't but know they for didn't sure. No, uh, uh-uh. man, that's crazy. The thing that really caught me though, and I am not surprised mm-hmm. after I don't even know how many stories we've done that all seem to be around the same time period, like the early 1900s, mm-hmm. 
and there's always buildings with so many fire code violations. Right. Well, which now we would think is of fire code right. violations. Right. But I mean the the doors fiasco with opening <laughs> inward. Right. I mean, that's the same thing that happened right. at, like, the Iroquois Theater. Exactly. Same thing that happened, I think, at the other theater that mm-hmm. you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you would think after so many different incidents like this, people would eventually realize, yeah. oh, okay, we can't do this anymore. Right. Right. No kidding. And so I was reading that because of this incident, it said many cities began strict building regulations, which led to inspections of schools. Oh, okay. Yeah. And most were requiring the installation of exit doors that swung outwards, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. course, and additional fire escapes and non-combustible fire escapes. Jeez. Yeah. So they were getting stricter on the schools, which, of course, they should have. Right. Yeah. Right. They this all- was such a sad I know. Story, I know. When though. I was writing, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so sad. It's horrible. In the end as well, it talked about the funerals. And Mm -hmm. so it said the Collinwood Board of Trade and the town council each approved $5,000 to help families without the means to bury their dead. Wow. So that was nice, at least. Yeah. They offered to do that. And it said on March 6th, the people of Collinwood began to bury their dead. An average of four funerals, some for multiple family members, were held every hour. Gosh, no way. Yeah, from sunrise to sunset and continued for three days. And then it said there were not enough funeral carriages available, so many had to use wagons and even streetcars to transport the small coffins. That's so sad. Yeah. And it said the last private funerals were held on March 8th. It was a Sunday. So they started March 6th Mm -hmm. and it ended March 8th. Man, that's too bad. I know. That's so sad. Very, very sad. But the fact, though, that they rebuilt another school on top of that same (laughs) location Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean i get probably yeah you already own the land and you just want to you know get another school so let's just put it there i I get that Mm -hmm. but at the same time i mean what the parents were saying was absolutely true yeah they were very very upset about it so it made sense i mean the trauma is there right so of course they don't want their kids to go through that and of course, this was a time period before they had counselors and things oh, in yeah. schools. Yes, yes. Now we have like therapy dogs right. even. So, you know, who knows what these little kids wow. were going through, you know? And mm-hmm. at the time it was just, I'm sure it was like, yeah, you're sad, but mm-hmm. you still have to go. Right. Oh, well, you're sad. Mm-hmm. Keep going, mm-hmm. you know, type of deal. So, I mean, no wonder there ended up being activity there in in the building Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. it closed not until the 70s i think you said yeah so it was open for quite a while it was it was and i i wonder what made them finally close it that's what i want to know it was demolished right eventually yeah Yeah. but it was because there was like nobody there eventually i mean it was left like vacant abandoned yeah I couldn't think of the word. Jeez. I think your brain cell fiasco is also <laughs> passing, passing on to, to me now. <laughs> Osmosis. <laughs> but yeah, so I just thought the story was super interesting. Mm-hmm. And when I saw it, I'm like, this is it. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. A good story. Well, thank you. So we'll be back with our second story here in a minute about another haunted location. So that's up after the break.
we're back now. So let's get into our next story. St. Charles, Missouri, located just outside St. Louis along the Missouri River, has a long and storied history of ghostly tales and legends. The town was founded in 1769 by French-Canadian fur trader Louis Blanchette and has played an important role in American history ever since. Throughout the early 19th century, St. Charles grew as a center of commerce and transportation. The city was a hub for river trade and its location on the Boonslick Road, an 1800s transportation route, made it an important stop for westward-bound pioneers. St. Charles Main Street in St. Charles, Missouri, is a charming historic district with a rich history dating back to the 1800s. With its brick-paved streets, quaint shops, and restaurants, it's become a popular destination for tourists and locals alike. However, this picturesque street also has a dark and haunted history that has intrigued so many for years. With a long sordid past of hangings, war, cemetery relocation, cholera, diphtheria, and smallpox outbreaks, many believe these distressing events are what's bringing about the intense activity. When the town's founder, Louis Blanchett, established the first trading post in the area in the late 1700s, he marked the beginning of St. Charles' long history as that ever-so-important trading hub. With its location at the intersection of the Missouri and Mississippi rivers, it made this transportation and commerce hub even that much more significant. As such, in 1804, the Lewis and Clark expedition officially kicked off with the two men departing St. Charles together on their journey westward. The unique tie between St. Charles and this historic moment is commemorated through a 15-foot bronze monument of Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. The larger-than-life statue sits in Frontier Park along the Missouri Riverfront, where their long journey began. For it was here, says the St. Charles Visitors Bureau, that in May of 1804, Lewis and Clark met to gather final supplies before embarking to explore the Louisiana Purchase Territory. The city would go on to serve as Missouri's first state capital from 1821 to 1826. The state's first legislative sessions were held in a small building on Main Street. However, the capital was moved to Jefferson City in 1826 due to St. Charles' location near the Missouri River, which made it vulnerable to flooding. Throughout this time, many important events took place in St. Charles, including the drafting of Missouri's first state constitution and the establishment of the state's first newspaper. During the Civil War, St. Charles, Missouri played an important role as a Union stronghold in the state. Early in the war, St. Charles was occupied by Union troops, who established a military presence in the city, also utilizing it as a recruiting center and training camp for soldiers. 
The city was located in a region of Missouri that was sharply divided between Union and Confederate supporters, causing several skirmishes and battles in and around the city. After the war, St. Charles continued to grow throughout the 19th century, and German immigrants began to settle in the area. Germans brought with them their culture and traditions, which can still be seen today in the city's architecture, festivals, and celebrations. As St. Charles developed, Main Street became the commercial and cultural center of the city. Many of the city's most important buildings and institutions were located on or near Main Street, including the first Missouri State Capitol building, which was constructed in 1821. As written by the St. Charles Visitors Bureau, Many of the buildings on Main Street were originally built to serve as homes and businesses for early fur traders and blacksmiths who settled in the area. Some of these buildings have been repurposed over the years, but their original facades and architectural details have been carefully preserved, allowing visitors to get a glimpse into what life was like in the early days of St. Charles. With such an impressive history that can be dated back to the 18th century, and considering that many of the buildings on Main Street have been standing for over a century, it makes it a bit more effortless to understand that these buildings have in fact witnessed many events and could have amassed some sort of paranormal activity. When it comes to St. Charles Main Street, over the years, the reports of activity along this main strip of town had become so routine that it caused locals to finally begin to wonder, was the city, and more specifically, this particular street, really haunted? And if so, why? Many visitors and locals have had personal experiences that they attribute to paranormal activity. These experiences include seeing apparitions, feeling a presence in certain buildings or areas, hearing unexplained noises or voices, and feeling a sudden drop in temperatures for no apparent reason. One of the most well-known Main Street spirits is the Lady in White. She can linger for a while, or she can vanish in the blink of an eye. She's believed to be the spirit of a heartbroken bride who had died in the 1800s and buried in her wedding dress. She's been spotted wandering the street in a long, flowing white dress. Some witnesses have described the apparition as almost like a concentrated fog moving about the area in an intelligent and interactive manner. According to local legend, the woman was a wealthy socialite who was engaged to be married to a wealthy man. However, on the day of her wedding, she was jilted by her fiancé and left heartbroken. After this devastating event, the woman was never seen again. Many have reported seeing her ghostly figure wandering the 400 block of South Main Street, sulking behind the buildings, looking for her lost love. Some have even reported hearing her soft whispers in the wind as she calls out for her beloved. While the lady in white roams up and down Main Street, a handful of specific businesses along the road have also reported heavy activity. Goldner Printing, the Old Thistle and Clover gift shop, the Mother-in-Law House, John Dengler Tobacco Shop, 
and the Old Millstream Inn Bar and Grill are just a few of the most spirit-filled buildings. The building that housed the old Thistle and Clover gift shop was said to have been built over an old cemetery. In the late 1700s, the area was home to a small cemetery with as many as 320 people buried there at one time. As the city of St. Charles continued to grow, officials decided it would be best to move the cemetery. So, between 1820 and 1850, the graves were relocated about a mile and a half west of its original location. But, as cemetery relocations usually go, some bodies were, for one reason or another, left behind. Based on records, it's estimated that the land on which the old Thistle and Clover building now sits contains anywhere between 30 and 50 bodies. Previous owners and staff of the building have reported seeing shadows and apparitions out of the corner of their eye, like someone is standing watching them. But when they turn to look, the shadow would be gone. Others have seen the apparition of a man walking towards the back of the old Thistle and Clover gift shop, only to disappear into the back room. When staff follow into the room, no one else is there. At the John Dengler Tobacco Shop, owners have heard screams and other voices in the building when no one else is around. Sounds resembling an almost wicked laughter have been heard coming from the second floor bedroom. Women have been touched by an unseen hand while going up and down the stairs. In the basement, many believe it to be the area where a vicious spirit resides. Some people will outright refuse to go down into the area. Owners of the Old Millstream Inn Bar and Grill also have had an endless array of personal accounts inside their building. Legends claim, and locals agree, that the Millstream is inhabited by the spirit of a 14-year-old girl named Molly, who committed suicide after the death of her beloved pet. Dark shadows moving about the restaurant are said to be attributed to Molly. The mother-in-law house is said to be an extremely active site. It was built in 1866 by Captain Kremer for his mother-in-law. His wife was very homesick, and so he built his home with two separate living quarters, one side for the family and the other for his mother-in-law. Previous owner Donna Hafer has claimed that nothing ever seems to go right, especially on the northern side of the restaurant. Strange things have happened. Glasses, drinks, and utensils disappear with no explanation. Water glasses mysteriously spill, coffee cups upend and dump in the laps of guests, and food inexplicably changes temperature. Owners and staff believe one of the spirits in the building is said to be that of Captain Kremer's mother-in-law, Christina. Witnesses have seen other apparitions and shadows also moving about the building. Interestingly, Goldner printing owner Chris Goldner has stated that he, in fact, is a skeptic. But he does share that he's aware that many believe 
the dark, narrow alleyway between his two buildings is one of the most haunted places along Main Street. Throughout the 1800s and as late as 1908, executions by hanging were a common occurrence. In St. Charles, a sheriff by the name of Ebenezer Curtis assisted in the town's two final executions. Two men were convicted of murder and sentenced to be hanged. Based on evidence and various accounts, after the hanging, doubt would be cast on the convictions of these two men. It's said that Sheriff Curtis was so distraught over the execution of what he believed to be two innocent men that he committed suicide. Curtis lived in an apartment above what is now Golner Printing. Michael Henry, a tour guide for St. Charles Ghost Tours, says, Some people claim to hear a voice in the alley, a whisper saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. EMF detectors go wild, even though there is no electrical system near the gate. The steps to Curtis's apartment are next to the walkway. I think he hangs around that area, in the apartment, or down the alley. Other haunted locations in St. Charles includes the Katy Trail State Park, the Lindenwood University campus, and the historic winery of the Little Hills. Each of these locations has its own ghostly tales and legends, and visitors to St. Charles are encouraged to explore the town's haunted history for themselves. Despite its haunted history, St. Charles remains a popular tourist destination with a charming historic district, beautiful parks, and a variety of cultural events throughout the year. Whether you're interested in ghostly encounters or simply want to explore the town's rich history and culture, St. Charles has something to offer everyone. So, Vanessa, what are your thoughts on St. Charles Main Street? Did wow. Any, did anything stand out to you? Yes, a lot of stuff. <laughs> wow, where should I begin? I know, I'm like, geez. And that's the thing that I, that I was thinking the whole entire time <laughs> I was just reading about Main Street. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, mm-hmm. You know, I never knew that Main Street had this much intense activity. Right. And this isn't even everything that I found. There were so many other buildings, businesses, what Mm. have you, along that strip that had similar similar accounts, similar activity. Mm -hmm. So I just had to kind of pick and choose a couple of the the ones that I was seeing. This is like a paranormal investigator's candy store. It is. is. This is so cool, though. Yeah, it was amazing. I was amazed the whole entire time just reading through all of these different accounts. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ah, crazy. gosh. Well, I've never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a lot of stuff that we do. Right. Which is cool, though, because yeah. it's like we're learning a lot about right. these different places, too. Right. One of the things, though, that I thought was was actually really cool and kind mm-hmm. of like a nerdy history thing mm-hmm. was the whole Lewis and Clark tie. Oh, to yeah. It. Right. And so the river landing behind 724 South Main Street, Mm -hmm. which is actually one of the buildings, is the spot where Lewis and Clark made their first stop 
during what? their famous expedition that in 1804. Is, that's actually really cool. Yeah, so they actually met up here in St. Charles. So I can't remember who it was. I think it was Lewis that first made it here mm-hmm. to uh, St. Charles, and then he met up with Clark eventually. And once they gathered all their their things and such as, then they both took off from there. Uh, but I had mentioned in in the story. Uh, about the St. Charles tour guide, Michael Henry. Mm -hmm. So he says that people have told him that they've seen the ghost of a dog running through the street and then vanish. Whoa. And I found an article where he actually talks about it. It's, uh, It's on the Star Tribune. And he says it's thought to be one of the dogs from the Lewis and Clark expedition. Henry believes this because several years ago, excavators found the bones of a large dog buried in a coffin in a part of the cemetery that Mm. has been, you know, just aged. And they can tell that Mm -hmm. this section of the specific cemetery is one of the extremely like oldest parts. And so testing showed that those specific bones were to be from the Lewis and Clark era. Oh, wow. And Lewis and Clark used the Newfoundland water dogs, which are those really big, those mm-hmm. really big dolls. Right. Or dogs. I said dolls. Right. Well, we knew what you meant. <laughs> One of those is actually standing next to them in their monument. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's there along the river in St. Charles. Oh, so neat. there's this really yeah. big, like 15 foot, I think I saw like, monument statue yeah. of both lewis and clark and in between them is one of their oh, dogs that's cool though yeah that's awesome uh the other thing that really caught me by surprise and is one of the reasons why i chose the specific building uh the the thistle and clover mm-hmm. the one that's buried or that's built over the old cemetery yes so I mean, I think it's and it's just like I said, as I was reading it, I mean, whenever you hear of cemetery relocations, oh God. you automatically assume something, something's going wrong. Something's going to go awry. Well, that kind, that kind of reminded me of the Lincoln Park one. Oh, yeah. And I, when you said that, I was like, OK, here we go. Yes, yeah. And so really uh, haphazardly. <laughs> So this was very haphazard, I feel. (laughs) I mean, of course, you know, they're trying to relocate all of these bodies. And in that whole movement, 30 to 50 bodies were left behind. You don't say. (laughs) So, of course, people are attributing some of the activity to that. Which... Also, though, I thought was curious that some people say one of those bodies left behind was the lady in white. What I think is also curious, though, is so I found I found a lot of people talking about the lady in white, a lot of accounts of people talking about the lady in white, a lot of locals. okay, and they they say the same story that I said in in my story here in what Mm, I just read. Right. But that tour guide, Michael Henry, Uh he has another story about Uh the lady in white. Yeah. And that story he, he got because he is somebody who has lived in the area for a really long time. 
has ancestors that have lived in the area for a really long hmm. time. One of his ancestors mm -hmm. actually wrote a letter in 1822. And he, Jeez. Michael Henry, the St. Charles tour guide, has this letter. Oh, wow. And that letter talks of a woman who lived nearby and died shortly after giving birth to a son. He says she was buried in her wedding dress, cream oh trimmed in white lace, the only nice dress she owned. Oh, wow. And the man who wrote it, uh, his last name was Barry. So Henry believes. So Barry is actually Henry's ancestor. Henry believes that Barry was the woman's child's father. So he believes he fathered the child that oh. this woman was having. So after the woman died, mm -hmm. uh, after the burial, Barry left town and never returned back to St. Charles. Oh, geez. So that's the story that this... Uh, tour guide actually gives of the woman in white which i thought wow. was really interesting mm -hmm. i mean because this one actually sounds a little bit more feasible to me yeah and so i was like oh as wow. opposed to the other women yeah. in white that we read about <laughs> yes or that we've seen yeah <laughs> i mean it's always the same story there's always a lady in white <laughs> or a lady in gray right <laughs> so i thought that was that was just interesting and mm. I, I really i really liked that one right i also came about this uh, tidbit uh, about the old post office actually so again a lot of these buildings along main street are 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 essentially haunted mm -hmm. i mean just you can walk down the street and just pick one and we'll, and go we'll in figure there. it out yeah. yeah there's a story there <laughs> uh so the post office is another one of those it's at 119 south main street and it's actually said to have built been built off an old slave auction block. What? So, yeah. Oh my gosh. I saw a picture and there's this block uh -huh. that has got to be no bigger than maybe like seven by seven. Okay. And that's where they would do, hold these auctions. Right. You know, the person yeah. would stand on this block. Right. So, this block was used as the main foundation stone oh for gosh. the post office. That is wild. And so, I mean, in addition to that, mm -hmm. back in that time as well, so early 1800s, there was actually a whipping post that yeah. was put up yeah. out front of the post office. Uh -huh. So this is kind of like the the governmental area, right. I guess, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, I've heard of that, yes. And that's where they would just publicly humiliate all of these law offenders mm -hmm. and try mm -hmm. to stop people from right. running to do anything wrong. Yeah. And then behind the post office, so it's kind of like in the front, they would like humiliate all of these non-law-abiding right. people. Right, But in the back... That's kind of where they would just like do away with you. So in the back, what, what do you in mean? the back they actually had gallows, and oh, so where the parking lot now is yeah. of that post office uh -huh. is where they had the gallows for the hangings. Oh wow! And so that is where Sheriff Curtis was said to have assisted in the hangings that eventually oh, gosh. led to his suicide. So it's like, pick where you want to go, the front or the back? Yes. Give me the front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, that's intense. Oh my gosh. 
a cool thing though that uh stood out to me just perusing about all these different readings that i was doing uh-huh. it also has a witchcraft connection oh so there's a restaurant there called magpie's cafe it's oh my lo- gosh i love the name already <laughs> it's uh at 903 south main street and it's referred to as the witch's house that is so cool in 1968, a school for witchcraft was founded here, and it would go on to host countless coven meetings. Then, in 1972, it became the first federally recognized Wiccan church. Whoa. Yeah. That is very cool, though. I thought that I was super cool. Go there. I thought it was amazing. I think that would be fun. So a lot of really cool places along St. Charles Main Street. It's, of course, uh, listed on the National Register of Historic Places. I mean, just with regards to the history, the architecture, the culture, there's there's so much to see. I mean, you're not even talking. You haven't even touched the, the paranormal aspect of Gosh. things, but it's like there's just so much to see there. Man, that's so cool. It's kind of like you're walking down and it's like, pick your poison. It really what do you is. Want? Yeah. That's so cool. It's, though. it's so much. And I know I mentioned the the tour guide. So he is actually one of the tour guides for the St. Charles Ghost Tours. And, huh. you know, so I... I believe that's one of the most famous tours that they have there mm-hmm. in, in St. Mm-hmm. Charles. So if anybody's going to St. Charles, definitely look up the St. Charles Ghost Tours. So they, of course, take visitors on a tour of the town's most haunted locations and include stops at the Old Mill Stream Inn, the Main Street's abandoned graveyard, and Ooh. other locations around town. So I want to do that. Definitely sounds really like a cool one. It does. Jeez. But yeah, so that was the St. Charles Main Street. Very nice. I like that. Yeah. So to wrap up here, did we have any, any, any notable, notable news? Any notables? Um, well, you did notify me today. Yes. That we were on the cover of a magazine we were we were we were actually called out specifically like our name haunted happy hour podcast is listed on the cover of american paranormal magazine and that is the april may issue yeah of american paranormal and our names are on the front cover lily and vanessa were on there on the front cover (laughs) so she texted me the picture at work and i was like i had to do a double take i'm like wait what (laughs) That's right. This is so cool. <laughs> it is cool. It's yeah. awesome. It's exciting it's for us. Cool. So shout out to them. Yes. Thanks American so much. Paranormal Magazine. We love you. <laughs> XOXO. <laughs> Big hearts. Hard eyes. <laughs> Hard eyes emoji. Yes. Uh, but with that, until next time, thanks for joining us for another happy hour in the Spirit Lounge. I'm Lily. And I'm Vanessa. And this was the Haunted Happy Hour Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you have Echo devices, an easy way to listen is just say, Alexa, play Haunted Happy Hour podcast. Plus, follow us on Facebook and Instagram to check out our next episode teaser and drink feature. See if you can guess what our next theme will be. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.